0: Those who belong to the Christ of Jesus are no longer under God's judgment because of what Christ has done. You are free. You are now controlled by the law of the Holy Spirit who gives you life. The law of the Spirit frees you from the law of sin that brings death.
1: Well done, man, well done. We are going to go ahead and dismiss our kiddos to Children's Church, so um, all the way up to third grade, if you want to head on into the gym, then uh, then you are invited to hang out and, uh, and learn, learn about Jesus and uh, about, we're uh, we doing Christmas story, yeah, about Jesus coming into the world. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, invite Kevin on up here and uh, hand it on over to him. The scripture before I preach, ever. Um, pardon me while I set this I'm kind of a roamer and... I'm going to trip over this, I'm sure, but that's all right. We'll try not to. Um, I am extremely glad to be here. We, uh, my wife and I, Joe Ray, um, have been here since Wednesday evening. And we honestly can say we've never been a place where we've felt more loved and welcomed. We, I mean, I already know some secrets that I'm sworn to silence on. Um, <laughs> It's been an amazing time, and we've had nothing but a, a lot of fun with everyone that we've been around. Um, I'm going to have to fast from now till Thanksgiving because uh, I, I've eaten so much that I'm, I'm probably going to die on the way home today, and you're feeding us again. So good, thanks. Um, but I, I did read something this week I want to remind you that something about reminder Wednesday night to set your scales back 15 pounds for <laughs> Thanksgiving. I don't know if you guys saw that notice but I wanted to tell you a little bit about myself before we get started uh, Most of you well I most of you I met I grabbed most everybody's hand as they came in this morning there were some people snuck in I didn't get to meet uh, I look forward to uh, actually making your acquaintance and and learning your name um, if I were to be tested, I could probably remember about ten names. Okay? Um, please don't test me. Um, I, I remember Dean and Rhonda. Um, of course, they, they let us stay in the house. Um, and so, uh, but anyway, um, I grew up in church. Um, it's, it's like I was born there. The first Sunday I was born, I can't remember what day I was born, but I guarantee you the next Sunday I was in church. Uh, my dad was a preacher. I'm a PK. The fact is, most of us preachers' kids get what we get from the elders' kids. Um, just wanted to lay that out there. Um, we always have a bad reputation. I don't know it was the elders, but anyway. Um, I, I've been to church all my life. It's just been part of who I am. Um, and my dad was a preacher. Uh, and I remember um, numerous times my dad was not afraid to call me down from the pulpit Uh, You know, once you get about 11, 12 years old, you think you don't have to sit with mom and dad anymore. And so I sat right back there in the corner. We had the old wood pews, right? Yeah, wherever you guys are. Uh, We had the old wood pews, and my friend and I thought that that was our place, and we could talk and play and, you know, whatever, joke, like teenagers do during church. I'm watching the rest of you guys. Um, But I'll never forget the day when my dad's preaching along, right in the middle of the sermon, he never missed the beat. He just said, "Kevin, come sit with your mother." My mother, as much trouble as I've caused in church, I don't know why she started sitting on the front row. When I, I, I caused a lot of problems in church when I was little, I don't think it was my fault. Um, I think I was misunderstood. Um, But I remember, and they tell the story all the time of when I was two years old. My mom, a little country church, and there was just two rows, you know, you've seen those little country churches. My mom sat in the front row right there, and she had a baby up to two years old sitting in the front row. Well, that's the most ridiculous thing in the world, because you know babies are going to get fussy. Every Sunday, I took that woman out of church. I mean, she took me out of church and if you guys know what a forsythia bush is it's a little demon thing that mothers torture children with because it has little thin spindly limbs that work great for switches if you're bad I assume I was because she planted one everywhere we lived Um, we had forsythia bushes I remember running away when I was three um, and every step of the way back forsythia on the leg I was like I never ran off again But it was from early days in church that I began to get an understanding of how I was supposed to live Christian life. And unfortunately, some of the things that we learned growing up didn't quite pan out when I got to be an adult. You've all heard of that, well, if you're having a struggle, just try harder. That's the theology I grew up with. Just try harder. Oh, you're, you're struggling with this thing? Well, you just need to try harder. Because you're not doing something right if you're not getting it. It's your fault. And it was your responsibility to try harder. Pull your boots up, put their own bootstraps, and you, you make, make it happen. And so I lived all of my life under the impression that if I just tried hard enough, if I could just do enough things for God, that He would be happy with me. And I didn't realize there were, there were all these free things that he wanted to give me that cost nothing. The truth is, and Paul says in every one of his, every one of his epistles, he makes it very plain, the prices have been paid by someone else that Jesus did on the cross everything that was needed for my salvation. I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to pull myself up with my own bootstraps. I didn't have to try harder because the work of salvation was already done and I didn't learn that till later in life. Maybe some of you are still in that boat where you just people tell you, oh, your marriage is struggling. You just need to try harder. Jesus has some other things to say about that and this morning we're going to land in Romans chapter 8. She read the first two verses. I, I couldn't bear to give her the whole chapter because we're, we're kind of going to cover the whole chapter. Um, and I felt, oh, that's terrible. Uh, we'll start out with what's important. But if you want to open your, your Bibles, your devices, your phones, whatever you uh, go to the Word with, we're going we're to kind of land there for a, a little bit. Um, and, and what I want us to recognize is that there is freedom that is given to us. The freedom that we see in our society. In, in the world we live in, people will tell you, you have to fight for your freedom, right? And, and we're, we're taught that. I mean, you look at wars, the Revolutionary War. They fought those who were putting them in tyranny so that they could have freedom. And we have this mentality that in order to be free, we have to fight for it. Fighting for it, is the opposite of surrender, though, right? Surrender is saying, I I wave the white flag, I give up. And I want us to look at a little bit of a different way of approaching this whole idea that, that our freedom is not gained by us working hard. Our freedom will never be accomplished by us fighting hard enough to get it. Our freedom can only be established and received as we surrender and give up. I want you to hang on to that thought, we're going to look at some of the freedoms that we have, and then at the end we're going to bring that all back together, but I want you to just ponder that in your mind, that our freedom doesn't come from us fighting and winning, but it comes from surrendering and giving up. And I'll explain that as we go through here. Romans chapter 8, this is one of my favorite books of the entire Bible, and if you don't have Romans 8, 1 memorized, you need to memorize that because it will free you. There is therefore no now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you really? Because if you believe that, you're already won half the victory. There's no condemnation. The Holy Spirit uh, gives us something. Let's look at the text, Romans chapter 8, and we're going to read the first four verses to start with here. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because... Through Christ Jesus, notice it had nothing to do with us, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death, for what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did. You need to underline God did in your Bible. God did. It's very significant. And He did it by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. The first freedom that we see in this passage of Scripture is that we're free from judgment. Now, we all know, the Bible teaches, that one day everyone will stand before God and will receive what what God has deemed for them. But the reality is, for those who belong to Christ, our judgment is just Jesus standing saying, it's paid, move along, it's paid, move along. And, and we have freedom from judgment. He says there is no condemnation. When he says there's no condemnation, what he pretty much means is, there's no condemnation. There's nothing that can come against you if you are in Christ Jesus. Nothing can come against you. At the end of this chapter, we're going to get into a whole list of all the amazing things. Nothing can separate us from God. But he says there's no condemnation. And in order to live in freedom, you have to realize, in Christ, there is no condemnation. Today when you go home, I want you to tell yourself, There is nothing that comes against you that can condemn you. And Paul talks about, says, even the only one who would condemn you, he's Jesus, but he's on your behalf and he's interceding for you. So the only one, who is it that tries to condemn us? Satan tries to condemn us. Any of you ever heard that voice? Oh, you're worthless. (laughs) Boy, you messed it up there. Oh, goodness. You, that sin, don't let anyone ever find out about that sin. That's what Satan, because he wants to condemn us. But the truth is, there is no condemnation. Satan can only speak lies. That's his native language. That's all he does. And so, the first freedom that we see in the text is that we're free from judgment. We do not have to, to worry our lives. I don't know how many people I've talked to who said, I just hope that when I get to heaven, that I get to go be, you know, be in heaven. And I'm thinking... You, don't, you haven't read this verse because it says in Jesus we can have full confidence that there's no condemnation. So we're free from fear of judgment because there's no condemnation. I want to go on just a little bit and read uh, verse 5 through 17. A little bit long, follow along. I'm reading out of NIV in case uh, any of you are wondering uh, uh, just so as you're following along if you have something different. Um, verse 5, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, I definitely want you to pay attention that there's a before and and after. You were, but you now, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ, but if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of your sin, yet your Spirit is alive because of righteousness, and if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, through His Spirit who lives in you. And this is the verse that I want to really center on for my next point is, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. How many of you have ever thought, this is just who I am, I can't get out of it, I have to do this. I, I'm just going to say and be honest with you, I at times in regards to like all the desserts and it's like this is who I am, I just have I have to. That is a lie that I tell myself. But you and I I think sometimes say, Oh, that struggle with pornography, I that's just who I am. I, I have to do that. I'm 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 just obligated because that's who I am. I'm just a worthless or maybe it's, uh, you know, who knows what it is. I just have to tell the the neighbor about what's happening because I'm doing it in love but I, I just really have to tell them and make sure they know what's happening. The reality is what he says there's freedom from defeat. There is no obligation. You are no longer, if you're in Christ, you're no longer obligated to live according to the sinful nature i think so many christians get bogged bogged down and and messed up because they feel like they still have to do those things that's who i am that's who i'll always be i'll never be any better i just that's how i have to do those are lies from satan the truth is what we find in romans chapter 8 and it says that you have freedom from defeat you have no obligation No one's expecting, nor wanting, or asking you to continue living in obligation to the sinful nature. It is an amazing freedom that we have in Christ. So we have freedom from judgment. There's no condemnation for us. And we have freedom from defeat. We have no obligation to live according to that sinful nature. And let's go on, and we're going to look at verses 18 through 30. Many of you have probably been in this. We don't even know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us because the, uh, uh, with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with the will. And this is the next verse. This next verse is the one I want to center in for this next point, this other freedom. And it's one that probably all of us know. And we know that in all things God works everything to the good for those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. I saw several people mouthing that. That's part of... This. That freedom is we have freedom from discouragement. Anyone ever been discouraged? Raise your hand. Please don't leave me up here by myself. Paul says in Christ... We have freedom from discouragement. Here's what he promises. No matter what you're going through, at some point, God is going to bring that to good. Any of you ever been a rough time with a family member who uh, caused problems and you fought and got, didn't get along? Don't raise your hands. They might be here. God says, if you hang with me, I'm going to turn that to good. I hope I didn't ask David, but I hope that I won't offend, but this is a bad thing that happened to April. But you know what I see in David? A man who is full of love. And while that's still rough and life has got to be tough, I can't even imagine, God has brought a good thing. To see April smile has been the delight of, of our time here. And God has brought that to good and brought about good. Do you know how many thousands of people have been joined together and united in prayer for April? You see, God can take even the worst things that we go through and He can bring them to good because He's God. And that's what He does. That's the freedom that He offers us if we're in Christ. We don't have to be worried about discouragement. We're not going to be frustrated we can know and count on the fact that no matter how rough today is, we've got a God who lives in tomorrow and next week and next month and He promises us He can bring everything, everything to good. That's an amazing freedom that we've been given so we've got freedom from judgment. There's no condemnation. Freedom from defeat. We have no obligation to that sinful nature. Freedom from discouragement. We don't have to be frustrated anymore. And there's one more. And that's freedom from fear. We will not be separated from God. Now, if you guys start cheering about this one, I'll understand because if you, you can't read this next section. And if you truly love Jesus, you can't help but get just a little bit excited. It's kind of like standing up and cheering when the Sooners beat everybody, um, <coughs> right? My buddy back here got oh, you sooner shirt on. This next section is like some of you have mentioned the name Wayne Smith. You guys remember who Wayne Smith was? He was a old country preacher, um, and he he lived in Kentucky. He used to say about things like this: If this doesn't light your fire, your wood is all wet. This is the kind of thing, that, let's, let's follow along. What shall we say in response to this? In all of this, all the struggles, all of this, what shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Can I get an amen? amen? If God is for us, who can be against us? This is amazing. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, in all things, we have been made more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, through Him who loved us. For I am convinced, neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a pretty intense list. Is there anything that he left out? I don't think so. I think that list incorporates everything that we will encounter in our life Nothing can separate us from the love of God. So we don't have to, we don't ha- we have freedom from fear. We got to talking the other day about uh, children who left, uh, parents who left their children places. I won't mention any names. Um, almost every parent at some point has left their child somewhere. Oh, I forgot him at this. My wife, when she, one of her kids was little, forgot her son at the, uh, the restaurant or something, left him at the restaurant, um, got home. It's like, Where is he? (laughs) Some people have a real fear of separation. Anyone who's ever been adopted has a fear of separation because they were separated from their parent. And when they grow up, that fear of separation, a lot of times, is carried on. And we think, okay, we can be separated from God. That's just not true. He says, "I I have made you my children." And nothing. And he lists off uh, everything that we could think of in this world. And he says, nothing can separate you from the love of God. And so that, that fourth freedom that we need to remember this morning is freedom from fear. We don't, we don't have to ever worry about being separated from God. He says, nothing can separate us from Him. Nothing can separate us from Him. Freedom has been offered to us. Freedom has to be received. And in order to... And it kind of goes against what our society says about freedom. But as followers of Jesus Christ, freedom comes not in fighting my way free from all the demons. It doesn't come in fighting my way free from all of the troubles that I've gone through. It comes from giving up and saying to Jesus, okay, you can be the Lord. I'm 59 years old. I accepted Christ when I was nine. was baptized. Five years ago was when I finally surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, all my life, I thought I was baptized. They said the words forgiven your sins, He's your Savior, He's your Lord, and I just assumed that everything was good. It's only been five years where I've truly been surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. And if it's okay, I'd like to tell you how that happened. My uh, wife and I had each attended, separately, a six-day conference down in Texas, and it was called Quest. For women it was HeartQuest, and for men it was Quest. And the whole purpose of it was for you to get away from all the hubbub of life. You had to leave your phones at home um, and spend quality time every day with the Holy Spirit and with God and just asking Him to speak to you. And each day as we started our day, we started the day after, as soon as we finished breakfast, we started with our quiet time. Now, you know, I, I was like, okay, quiet time. Yeah, that's 15, 20 minutes. No, Two hours. Okay, our quiet time is two hours. And as we went out of the gate at this huge horse ranch, they told us, as you step over the gate, cattle guard out there, as you step over the cattle guard, ask the Holy Spirit, where do you want me? What do you want to say to me today? What do you want to show me? So I did exactly what they asked us to do. I stepped outside. I said, Holy Spirit... I want you to show me what you want me to see today. I want you to talk to me and tell me what you want me to hear. I I want you to show me what you want to show me. And I said, where do you want me to go? Well, as you come out of the front gate, there's kind of a quarter mile road that kind of rises up, turns right and left. And if you turn left, it goes back to the back of the property. If you turn right, it goes past this huge horse barn. had to be a 75 stall horse barn, big horse barn. It was a working horse ranch back in the day. And as I, the Holy Spirit turned me to go down in front of that, uh, that horse barn. And as I turned, I saw off to the right a round horse training ring. You guys probably have seen something similar. Uh, <coughs> and ironically enough, I saw the horse training ring, <coughs> and the Holy Spirit said, I need you in the ring because I need to train you. <coughs> I thought, how ironic. Um... The funny thing was, two weeks before, I was scrolling through YouTube, looking at videos like sometimes do, and I came across this video of a horse trainer. And he was training other people who train horses, and he, had, uh, he was in the ring, and people were in the stands, he was mic'd up and everything, and he was telling the people how to do this gentle method of horse training so that when, when the horse is broke, it's not still wild and wanting to buck off, but it's, it's actually submitted to the trainer. And so he said, I wanna, wanna, and he took a, a two year old horse that had never been ridden, uh, put it on the launch line, and started his little deal, you know, flick the rope at it, and it starts running around. He's t- going around in circles, running around. And then after a little bit, if you've ever seen this kind of thing, he, he flicks the rope the other way and changes direction and gets the horse going the opposite direction. And so he's talking the whole while he's doing this. He said, What I'm doing is trying to establish that I'm the boss and this horse is, has to do what I tell it to do and so he said when I believe that the horse gets it I'll drop the rope I'll turn my back to the horse and stand in the center of the ring and if the horse comes to me I'll know that he understands what the arrangement is here and that he's ready to be trained and so he dropped the rope on this two-year-old horse that had never been ridden and And the horse kind of stops and goes. And he walks over to the man and nudges him in the back. And I was like, that's amazing. And he he turned to the audience and said, now this horse is really ready to be trained because he's submitted to me. Well, I didn't know it at the time, but God was preparing me. So I get in this ring. I'm like, okay, I'm in the ring. I'd been carrying a little collapsible chair. I set it up in the middle because there were some cool flowers there. And I started to sit down thinking, this is where he wanted me to do my devotions. He said, no. I want you to walk around this ring. So I'm looking over my shoulder thinking, I hope no one else is watching because here's this idiot walking around in circles in the middle of a horse ring acting like my little pony or something. I'm like, I hope nobody's watching. But as I'm walking around the outside of that ring... I'm like, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to see? And he says, I want you to tell me what you see. And I look down, and I'm like, well, there's a whole bunch of horse poop, because this is obviously where the horse walks. And he said, what else do you see? And I look down, and everywhere, all around the entire outside ring of that, were those nettles. I don't know what they're actually called, but they look like little leaves. They have little poker things on the ends. Little death plants, as far as I'm concerned. I said, there was nettles. I said, there's nettles everywhere. And you know, if you touch them, they're painful. And he said to me, Kevin, all of your life, you've been with me. You're on the end of the launch line, but you just kept on going. You never figured out that you had to stop and surrender your will to me. And I'm just standing there almost in tears, blown away by this. And he says, it's time for you to join me in the middle of the ring. And I walked to the center of the ring and I started to sit down. And he said, no, don't sit down yet. I want you to look around and I want you to tell me what you see right here. Well, obviously, I told you about the flowers. They were they were cool purple flowers. I have no idea what kind. Purple's my favorite color. Um, I, but I don't like the Wildcats. Um, purple is my favorite color. And so I'm like, I'm attracted to that spot. So I... He's like, what do you see there? And I said, well, beautiful flowers. Amazing. It was just gorgeous there. He said, do you see anything else? I'm like, there's no nettles. There's no horse poop. He said, Kevin, when you come and join me in the middle of the ring and you surrender to me, life becomes so much more beautiful and so much more rewarding the pain is so far less than what you experience when you're walking out at the end of the line and that was the day i sat in bald and surrendered my heart to jesus i have a feeling some of you have been walking around at the end of the line you maintain the connection you stay in church you give you're connected but you maybe have never surrendered and stepped to the middle of the ring and said, okay, it's all yours. You do with it what you want. You tell me to go, I'm going to go. You tell me to do, I'm going to do. You tell me to say, and I'm going to say. Right here right now, today, is the point where you will make the most important decision of your life. You're going to decide in a couple of weeks whether or not you want us to come back. That pales in comparison to what you have to decide right now. And you will decide. You may think, "Well, I'm not making that decision. But by not making the decision, you've made the decision. The reality is, will you stay out there at the end of the line and just simply keep doing the religious things that you've always done because that probably is good enough or will you surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and say, today, today I draw the line in the sand and now, a minute from now, you will make the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. I hope, my prayer that I've been praying as God woke me up at five this morning, I've been praying that God would speak to your heart and the Holy Spirit would soften your heart today and then you would just simply give up throw up the flag, and say I surrender I'm tired of doing this myself I'm tired of trying and failing I'm tired of trying to make it my own way I give up I'm going to ask the band to come back and we're going to sing another song in the midst of that I want you to be thinking what is my next step with Christ? You see, no matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how long you've been a part of church, every one of us, on a regular basis, need to say, I've got a next step. There's something else that I need to do. There's another depth that I need to go to. There's another... And, and this idea of surrendering to Jesus Christ, it doesn't happen just once. you got to get up tomorrow and say, here's the white flag, God here's my white flag, I give up, I'm going to trust you today. But you're going to make a decision, whether you come forward to make a decision or whether you say anything to anyone, you're going to make a decision today. Will you give him lordship of your life? You see, I think that's the most critical thing to God blessing a church. Listen, I've already fallen in love with you people. I'm counting on God to bring me here. I want this And I see something amazing that's going to happen here. But you know what has to happen first? We have to have hearts that are surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because if we go in doing it our way, we're going to mess it up, I guarantee you. We've got to be surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. And this morning, as we sing this next song, I don't even remember what the song is, but I I want you to allow the Holy Spirit... And guys, maybe you could play for just a few seconds before we actually start. And, and I just want, I just want you to ask Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do today? What do you want? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to see? Did you want me to hear what was spoken today? And if so, how can I respond to that? So we're going to stand together right now, and I'm going to let them play through. And I just want you to close your eyes and just. Just ask Holy Spirit, speak to, my, speak to my heart. And maybe maybe you need to make a public decision. Maybe you, maybe you need to come forward. I'm going to be down here. I'll, I'll ask one of the elders to join me up here. Um, and, and we're just going to be here. If you need to make a decision, today's the day to do that. And today's the day to decide, I'm just going to give up. I'm going to swing the white flag. And I'm going to surrender. Bow your heads, close your eyes, and then in a few minutes, guys, go ahead and lead in that song.
0: sure enough if you guys have heard of uh, Dick and Rick Hoyt, um, or Team Hoyt, and that's what they're called as well. That's a father-son team um, that has raced in nearly 1,100 long-distance running events since the early 1980s, 252 of which were triathlons. But the thing is, Rick has cerebral palsy and has been paralyzed from birth. And Re- Aaron's got a couple pictures. So his dad pulls him in a raft when they do their swimming part, and then they fashioned a bike that he can put him in the front and then the last leg where he's running he's got a a wheelchair they made for him that he can run with and um, it's just quite an incredible story about these guys and I found an article of how it all began and it's quite interesting as well once again Rick is the son and Dick is the dad but it says Rick's career as a celebrated athlete began when he was in middle school Rick attended a college basketball game and heard an announcement about a student who had been in an accident and was paralyzed from the waist down. A charity road race was in the works to help the student pay his medical bills. Rick came home from that basketball game and said, Dad, I have to do something for him. I want to let let him know that life goes on even though he's paralyzed. I want to run in the race. That was from the dad. At the time, Dick, the dad, was 40 years old and was not a runner. He saw how this fueled his son, though, and he knew he had to do something. So he decided to head out to the five-mile race and try pushing Rick in a heavy box-shaped chair with handles on top. We came home, in we came in next to last, but not last, Dick said, who lives in Holland, Massachusetts. When we got home that night, Rick wrote on his computer, Dad, when I'm running, it feels like my disability disappears, which is a very powerful, powerful message for me from the dad. And the rest is history for them, all those races. But Dick's dedication, he dedicated the rest of his life to helping his son feel normal again. This is an amazing and inspiring story about a father's love for his child and the lengths that he would go to for him. And even as amazing as that story is, we have a father in heaven who loves us more than that by a mile. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let that sink in. There's no better example of love and sacrifice than that. A love that gives us a chance for eternal life with our Father in heaven. So as we take communion this morning, take time to thank Jesus for all that he has done for us. Will you pray with me? God, as as we come around this table this morning, we are just reminded again and again of your great love for us and, and the willingness of Jesus to be the perfect sacrifice and his willingness to go to the cross for us. And we are thankful for the emblems that we have to remember Jesus by. The bread that represents his bruised body and bruised and broken body and the juice that represents his bloodshed. And I just pray that you would help us seek you more daily in our walk and that we just want to give you thanks for all that you do for us. And it's all the ways you care and provide and and just like say the way you love us in so many amazing ways. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.